Luke chapter 13 is where we're going to go this morning. We're wrapping up today our series on breaking and living free. And I want to teach this morning, preach on Christ my deliverer. We've spent the past couple of weeks teaching and taking a look at uh, walking in the Spirit and what it means to walk in the Spirit. And this morning I want to uh, preach on Christ being your deliver. He's my deliver. Do you believe that this morning? That there is absolutely nothing that you and I face that Christ cannot bring victory over in our life. It doesn't matter whether it's depression or discouragement. Maybe you're in a, in a difficult situation. Maybe, uh, maybe you're like us and you just moved here and, and you're facing the, the climate of getting uh, acclimated to all that's here and, and the climate and all that stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. Christ is still your deliverer. He's my deliverer. Why don't you say that this morning? Christ is my deliverer. Sometimes we just need to hear ourselves say that. Sometimes we just get stuck in, in this mopey, woe is me state. We need to hear ourselves begin to proclaim truth that Christ is my deliverer. Why don't you say it again? Christ is my deliverer. Now, some of you are sitting there with the scowl on your face, and you'll never budge. I, I could ask you to say happy birthday to my wife this morning, and you still wouldn't say happy birthday to my wife this morning. I had to work it in somewhere. But, but for those that, that are free in Christ, we all can respond and say, Christ is my deliverer, because we've tasted it this morning. We know it's a reality. So Luke chapter 13 and verse 10, I love this story. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 10 says, Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Verse 14 says, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, not on the Sabbath day. Man, isn't that just like the, the religious folk? Well, why are you doing this? This is foolishness. The Bible says that the things of the Spirit are foolishness to the natural mind. And so that's what we're seeing here. You may be sitting here this morning saying, man, this guy has absolutely lost his mind. That's okay. The things of the Spirit are foolishness to the natural mind. You may not understand what's happening in the service this morning. You may not understand why in the world do they have to sing so many songs? Why do they have to take so many offerings? Why do they have to talk about all these outreach and opportunities? Well, it's because we perceive with the eyes of the Spirit. We see opportunities to minister to the broken. We get to come before the King of Kings and worship at His feet. Man, why would I spend the whole service just worshiping? That's good enough for me just to come into His presence and worship. I'm just grateful that He actually calls me into His presence to worship. So, so uh, if, you're, if you're one of those to get bothered by the religion, you're one of those religious folks to get bothered by the foolish things, I apologize this morning. Hopefully you will find Christ your deliverer this morning. But, but I, 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 I love when Jesus interrupts the religious. I love when Jesus interrupts the religious. You know, this church, I, I'm just going to pause here and say this. This church, I was, I was here last night praying and preparing for service today. And as I was praying, I said, Lord, what is it? You know, and I just having conversation and, and I'll, I'll clue you into my private conversation for a moment with Jesus. 
But what is it that you're doing in our church? And give us wisdom. Give Heather and I wisdom and direction. For, and I'm just, I'm just trying to hear from God uh, just fresh and again. I want to hear from God every day, and that's what I was doing. God, I just want to hear from you again for our church. What are you saying? What are you speaking? And I felt like Jesus spoke this to me. I felt like the Holy Spirit just, I was sitting right over there. And, and, and as, as I was just sitting in here and worshiping, it was like his presence just came in this room. And I'm sitting, and I couldn't even see the pew right there where Sam's sitting. I couldn't even see the pew. His presence just became so heavy in this room. And, and, I, and God spoke, and he said, this church has a history for launching other ministries. This church has a history in, in, in for sending out people and affecting the nations out of this church. He said, but oftentimes we, we can't focus. We can't get our focus on what was. I'm doing a new thing. And what's, what's happened in the past it's not going to compare to what I'm doing in this day. What I'm doing, what's happened in this church and what's come out of this church in the past, there's greater things in the days ahead. And so he just began to speak to me about some of those things. And so I want to encourage you that, that we don't have a, have a religious mindset that says like these religious leaders, well, you can only do this, Jesus. You can only heal in this day and you can only do it this way. And it's got to be these people and this blah. That's blah. That's, that's what we used to call, when I lived in Illinois, hogwash. That's, you know, that, that's country for dirty pig water. We, we don't need, that's the, we don't need that. We want, God, we want the freedom of the Holy Spirit in our church. We want, God, if you want to heal on the Sabbath, whatever you want to do, Lord, we just surrender to you. And so anyway, I'll get off of that little side trail and, and get back into reading the scripture here, but... But they said there's six days on which you ought to be healed. Come on one of those days. In verse 15. And then the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan is bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. I just want to kind of set the stage for you this morning and, and kind of go through this passage of Scripture before I get into the, the, the word or the message uh, this morning. But just a couple of things here that I want to point out. One, obviously we pointed out that, that this was taking place on the Sabbath day. And this woman had had a, had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She had been bent over for 18 years. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but if I had had something that had ailed me physically to the point that I, I couldn't straighten up, I mean, that's a long 18 years of suffering. And maybe you're here this morning and you've experienced a physical infirmity uh, and you know exactly what this woman was going through, the struggle and the pain and the heartache. Jesus had just been teaching Prior to these verses, Jesus had just been teaching on the, on the barren fig tree. And I have to imagine that maybe this woman who was sitting there listening to Jesus teach about the barren fig tree probably was thinking to herself, he's talking about me. I've been over. I can't do anything. He's, he's, he's saying that I need to be cut down. I, and, and all of those depressing thoughts and all of the agony that she's had and all the pain that she's carried over the past 18 years began to surface. And maybe you're here this morning and you would be in the same situation that maybe you're, the, those condemning thoughts and the depressing thoughts and the agonizing thoughts that are troubling you, maybe you have trouble sleeping at night because of those, those thoughts and the painful memories. But I will say to you this, that Jesus sees the pain and the hurt that you're suffering. He sees the need that's in your life. And, and, and Jesus 
Jesus wasn't just teaching on the barren fig tree to preach at her and, and cause condemnation against her. He was, he was preaching and teaching, leading her to a path of freedom and a path of wholeness. He said even, even, the, even the keeper of the fig tree would dig around that fig tree one more time, give it one more chance to bring nutrients, to bring life. And Jesus has come to you today and he's, he's bringing life, he's bringing health and nutrients to this church, nutrients to your life, trying to restore and, and build up and bring healing to your life. And Jesus, this woman, for 18 years, the Bible says that she couldn't raise herself up. She couldn't in no way raise herself up. The, the Greek word there is only used three times in Scripture. This is one occurrence. There's two other times. And it's the word anacupto. You may have heard me teach on this before. But that word anacupto is so powerful. The word anacupto means to raise oneself up like the swells of the sea in joy and exhalation. We see the, that Jesus, when he was ministering, the other time that it occurs, one of the other times that this word occurs is when Jesus is ministering to the woman who was caught, caught in adultery. And they bring the woman before him. And they say, Jesus, what we ought to do? And he begins to play in the dirt. Jesus begins to write in the dirt and play. And I, and I would think that this woman would probably say, Jesus, they're getting ready to kill me. Could you do something other than play with the sand? Can you get up and maybe speak a word and they'd all fall down and fall down dead? Can you do something a little bit different? And Jesus writes in the dirt. And the Bible says that Jesus anacupto, he lifted himself up. He lifted himself up with joy as the swells of the sea. And he says, let ever, whoever, whoever has no sin, let him cast the first stone and he had the, the same word, anacupto, is used here, that she couldn't lift herself up with joy. The other place that it's used is in Luke, when, when Jesus said, when you see all of these things happening, when you, when you hear the wars and rumors of war, and, and all these things happening, straighten yourself up, look up, for your redemption draws near. And it's the same word, to look up, to be lifted up with joys, with, with the swells of joy, like the swells of a sea. And I want to say to you this morning, you may have a hard time. Some of you look like you're having a hard time lifting yourself up in joy this morning. And I want to encourage you that Jesus wants you to be happy. I'm just going to pause here for a moment. And Jesus wants you to be happy. He wants you to live a joyful life. He wants you to be able, and sometimes our greatest dilemma in life is not necessarily our physical ailment, it's our response to it. Sometimes our greatest dilemma is not the depression or the discouraging situation, it's saying, God, help me to be joyful in the middle of this thing. Help me to see Christ in the middle of this situation. When you can't bend over, she, she couldn't see Jesus, she could just hear the words. And some of you this morning, you hear the words, you're hearing what I'm saying but you can't see it for yourself. There's no revelation for yourself of, of what I'm talking about this morning because you haven't had the experience with Christ yourself. But when you begin to look up and you see Christ for yourself and you have the reality of who He is standing in front of you, the reality of that joy becomes real for you. It's not just hearing the words. It's not just having a doctrine. Yeah, you can, you can have a doctrine about the Holy Spirit. You can have theology about worship. You can have all the right answers, but no experience. 
Unfortunately, that's probably the reality with most churches in modern culture. They have, they have an idea about theology. They have a concept, but no experience. And, and that's why you end up with preachers who, who don't preach on salvation, who don't preach on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, who don't teach and preach the fundamentals. They don't, they don't understand because there's no experience. Well, why don't we preach on laying on of hands anymore? Why don't we preach on the anointing anymore? Why don't, because they don't have the experience to back up what the, what the Word says. And so their experience and the Word have got to meet, and they meet in the person of Jesus Christ. We've got to begin to say, Jesus, I need to be lifted up. I need not just to hear your words. I need to see you for myself. I need to experience your touch. The Bible says that Jesus called this woman to himself. I would imagine that she probably thought no one would want her. Nobody needed her. She was not useful for anything. She was bent over. She walked around bent over. That's what she did. That was her story. She became identified by her ailment. You may be here this morning and you might be identified by what you feel and your ailments and and all of your past and your hurt and whatever it is and the mess. But Jesus, with one touch, with one word, with one encounter, removes that identity and you begin to carry the identity of Christ. You begin to take on His nature. Amen. He calls her over. It says to her, he puts his hands on her. He puts her hands on her. Hebrews, I love this scripture. If you go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, we forget about this, this scripture a lot of times. Hebrews 6, 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation. Paul's saying here in Hebrews, these are the, this is the foundation of our faith. This is elementary. This is the basics. Everybody should understand this. We, this is the basics. If you can't get this, you can't get the rest. Here's the basics. Repentance from dead works. Faith toward God. Doctrine of baptisms. Laying on of hands. Resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. These are the basics of our Christianity. This is, this is the basics of what we teach and preach and believe. This is elementary. We, we, we miss the elementary concept. We, we miss the, a lot, of, a lot of times we miss the elementary concept and, and teaching of even laying on of hands. Here's Jesus. Elementary, basic principle of ministry. Calls the woman over, lays hands on her, and says, woman, you are loosed. A lot of times we overlook the laying on of hands. That laying on of hands is not just, it's not just an act of blessing or, 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 oh, good job. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. No, laying on of hands, there was something tangible that went out of Jesus in that moment. When he put his hands on her, combined with the word of his authority, there was something that, that was transferred that went from Jesus into that woman that set her free from that bondage, that set her free from that spirit of infirmity. And so when people say, well, why do you lay hands on people? We're following Jesus' example. Jesus would lay his hands on them and speak to that infirmity, he would speak. It wasn't just a nice, soft, gentle prayer. Oh, let me bless you today. No, he was speaking, carrying authority. He walked with one who had authority and was laying hands on them. There was a transfer of that anointing, of that presence, that tangible presence 
of God. We see this happen throughout the New Testament. I love the story of the handkerchiefs of Paul in Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. The Bible says in Acts 19 that extraordinary miracles were happening at the hands of Paul. And the Bible says, and by the way, if you are looking at my notes, I am nowhere on them, so just hang on, we'll get there. And so the Bible says in Acts chapter 19 that extraordinary miracles were happening. Now, it would seem to me that a miracle is extraordinary in and of itself. And so what Paul says, or, or what, what uh, Luke says about Paul's ministry here in Acts, is that there were extraordinary, extraordinary happenings. This was unusual. This was unusual for them in the day of revival. This, this was unusual. There was a revival happening in Ephesus, and this was unusual for us. We've, we've been, we've, our background is revival and, and revival church, revival ministry. We've seen some unusual things. There's some things that you would probably consider this church would consider unusual by the nature, and there are things that we would consider unusual just by the nature of them. Wow, that's different. I've not seen that before. That's kind of what was happening here with Paul. But you have to understand here the context. This is so important. And we're, all this will tie together in a moment. The context of, of this ministry that was happening in Ephesus was saturation. Total, total annihilation, saturation in the presence of God. Eight hours a day for two years, Paul teaching and ministering to these people. Eight hours. Can you, can you imagine coming to church for eight hours, listening to teaching and having ministry for eight hours? I love it. Man, I'd be in heaven. It'd have to be God. It would have to be God. That's exhausting. That would have to be Jesus. But man, when it is, when it is revival, when it is the Spirit of God, it is the delight to spend all day in church. Why, Why would you want to do anything else? Because His tangible presence is, is with you. It's, he's in your face. It's real. It's alive. It, it's not just a concept. Remember, we were talking about it's not just words that you hear on Sunday. It's an experience. It's revelation. It's personal experience with Christ. And that's what, that's what birthed these extraordinary miracles. If you need this morning an extraordinary miracle in your life, it takes saturation. It takes absolute annihilation in His presence. It ain't about you, you filthy, ugly thing. It's not about you. I know, I know everybody wants to be built up and encouraged and, oh, look at me, and I'm, I'm a great person. Yeah, you are. In Christ, you can do all things. Uh, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Yeah, that's great. But you and of yourself, you are a filthy, ugly thing, incapable of walking in freedom, incapable of doing anything great for the kingdom. It takes the supernatural touch of God in your life. You have to. You must. It is imperative that you and I saturate ourselves in the presence of God. It's imperative that we allow Jesus to call us out of our mess, just like this lady, call us, woman, come here. It's imperative that we allow Jesus to call us out of our mess, let him come and wrap his arms around us and speak, woman, man, be loosed from your infirmity. So we continue here. He says he lays his hands on her, and, and the ruler of the synagogue, of course, we talked about this for a moment. Heather taught on this briefly Wednesday night, but why wouldn't Jesus heal on the Sabbath? Why wouldn't Jesus do a miracle on the Sabbath? He says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the ministry of Christ. This is the ministry that He was commissioned with, and it's the ministry that He's commissioned you and I with. And so this same anointing, this same touch of God that that touched this lady, liberated this woman from her bondage, from the spirit of infirmity. When you and I get liberated, when you and I begin to experience the liberty and the freedom in Christ, we then carry this same ministry to others. It is then our responsibility to take the anointing and the power of God that we've received and begin to share it with others. Do you know that you ought to be a carrier of something? You should be carrying something in your life. If the anointing of God, the tangible presence of God is not real and evident in your life, you're missing a very basic reality of Christianity. Amen. You and I need to become familiar with the anointing. You and I should become so familiar and aware of the tangible presence of God resident on the inside of us. Grace was singing this morning about the lion roaring. There is the lion roaring from it. There is a tangible anointing that ought to be resident on our lives. You can sense the anointing. You You can walk and the Spirit of God, and be aware of His presence, be aware of the anointing, the power and the presence of God on your life. I'm sure after the first of the year, I, we will probably do a teaching on the anointing. There's some great resources out there. I love teaching on the anointing, learning how to walk in the anointing, be aware of the anointing. But you and I, there is a stirring inside. The Bible says that out of your belly, this is why we teach on this so much. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Bible indicates clearly that our our inner man, out of our inner being, flows rivers. There ought to be, that's not just a nice cliche statement Jesus made, it's a reality that out of our belly, there should be out of our innermost being, the anointing, the tangible presence of God flowing from our lives. You can sense, you can be aware of the anointing and its effects. Jesus was aware. He was walking through the crowd. As he's walking through the crowd thronging him, crowds are thronging him, and a woman reaches out and touches him, and he stops, and he says, virtue, power has gone out of me. He, there was a sense, there was an awareness of, of a demand that was placed on the anointing on his life. You and I need to walk in the awareness of his presence, in the presence of God, where we are aware of the anointing. There are times when, when you're praying for folks that you, as we go through and pray for people, it's a great example of this, as we're going through and praying and ministering to people. There are times as people are receiving prayer that they, there is a hunger, there is an expectation, there is a demand placed on that anointing, on the presence of God. And as you lay hands on people, you can sense, and you're aware, this isn't what I'm teaching on this morning, I don't know why I'm so far off my notes, I'm supposed to be teaching on Christ my deliverer, but there, there is an awareness that you can have of the presence of God, and, and, and you can sense that demand that's placed on the anointing as you minister to people. This, is, this isn't hokey Christianity. This is real life New Testament church. We see this. We see this in scripture as, as Paul and Peter minister. Peter walking through in his shadow. 
His shadow coming on someone and being healed. Being aware of the presence of God on your life. Did everywhere, everywhere that Peter went, was his shadow healing people? No. It was at certain times when people were hungry and they came expecting to receive a miracle. And as he walked, they were healed. Did Jesus heal everybody everywhere that he went? No, there were times where he ministered, he was moved with compassion and laid hands on them. There were sometimes he just taught and he just ministered. And so you and I, you want to hear this this morning? Is this, is this helping you this morning? That, that you and I need to walk in the anointing and be aware of the presence, the tangible presence of God in our lives. He is our deliverer. And if he's, if he's my deliverer, then he's called me to bring freedom to those around me. He's called me to carry that same liberty, that same freedom to those who are around me. Luke 13, jumping back there. Maybe I should get on my notes about now. So anyway, they were all rejoicing. They were all rejoicing at the liberty that, that this woman had experienced. The religious people were put to shame and the others were excited. How can you tell the difference between the religious crowd and those who are in love with Jesus? Because they're excited about who he is and what he does and they don't care what it looks like. They don't care when, how it comes, if it meets their expectations. They just want Jesus. They just want his presence. It doesn't have to take some form or denominational view or some whatever mess. It just, we just need Jesus. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 and 2 says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us that we can run. What's hindering you from running this morning? What's hindering you from pursuing all that God has? What's, what's hindering you from receiving all that God has for you this morning? Is there a weight? Is there discouragement? Is there depression? Is there fear? Maybe you're living naturally minded instead of spiritually minded. Whatever the case is, Jesus wants you to live in freedom. He's calling to you today. He's calling you out of the mess. He's calling you out of that circumstance. He wants to lay hands on you this morning. He wants to speak words of healing and authority over your life this morning. There's several significant healings that took place on the Sabbath. We see the evil spirit cast out with the word. The wither hand was healed. This woman was made straight. Man, straight. man with the demon, edema, I'll get it right. The man with the edema was healed when Jesus laid his hands on him. The lame man at the pool of Bethesda got up and walked at the command of Jesus. The man who was born blind had his eyes open when Jesus put mud on his eyes. Several significant healings taken place on the Sabbath. Here we find in Luke 13... Jesus says three important things about this circumstance, about this situation. Number one, he points out in verse 16 that this woman is a daughter of Abraham. She is under a covenant with God. She has a covenant with God. You and I are in covenant with Jesus Christ. Through his sacrifice, you and I have a covenant with God. We have a, we have a promise from God for our salvation, for our healing, for our deliver, deliverance. In Exodus 23, verse 25, it says this, so you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. It is God's desire to remove sickness and disease. You have a covenant with God for healing and for your life. The, the second thing that Jesus says about this circumstance, he says, whom Satan has bound. 
The Bible says in John 10.10 that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. They might have the God kind of life. They might have the covenant kind of life. The life that comes by living in the presence of God. Bless the Lord, Psalms 103. I love it. Psalms 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Why? Because He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Thank you, Jesus. This woman, thirdly, Jesus points out in verse 16, this woman ought to be loosed. Jesus says she ought to be loosed. She has, she has a covenant I love her. I have a plan for her. I came. This is my ministry. This is why I came. Jesus came for this woman. It wasn't by accident that she was there that day. It's not by accident that you're here this day. Jesus has come for you specifically. He wants you to enjoy the fullness of life, the abundant life. Matthew 10, 7 and 8 says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many times have you heard me quote this verse? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. This is you and I's ministry. This is our ministry to our community. This is our ministry to the world around us. Right here, Matthew 10, 7 and 8. That we are to carry the presence of God, preaching the kingdom, and ministering in supernatural signs and wonders. Amen. Christ is my deliverer. Christ's ministry. Christ is my deliverer. His ministry is a ministry of restoration. His ministry is restoring us to the Father's presence. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. Say, I'm a son or a daughter. <laughs> whichever the case is, I'm a son or a daughter. Jesus has come. Why? Jesus has come that the sonship, our sonship with the Father could be restored. That we could begin to call him Abba Father. This is, this is impossible. This is impossible without the Spirit of God being being active in our lives. This is impossible without having the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Holy Spirit is shed abroad into our hearts and reveals to us the love of the Father. He reveals to us our love for the Father. It's not our ability to love God. It's the Holy Spirit's ability to love God through us. We begin to say and yield, God, I yield to you. God, I love you. And we begin to receive all that God has for us. We begin to receive the, this person of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Y'all following me this morning? We begin to receive the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the overflow of that is, God, I love you. My Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, Jesus, I love you. And I need, and it's this ongoing cycle of love between you and the Father. It's the person of love, the Holy Spirit, that makes this possible. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 33, Therefore, being seated... Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now 
see and hear. This is what was spoken by Peter on the day of Pentecost, referencing Jesus' ministry, him being seated at the right hand of God. He now pours out the Holy Spirit. This is what you see and hear. This is why the baptism in the Holy Spirit is so important. This is why praying in your heavenly language is so important. It's yielding to God, saying, God, I need you. And you begin to speak in this heavenly language with God, and it begins, it's this ongoing language of intimacy. It's this ongoing dialogue and communication with the Father of intimacy. And the more that you do it, the more that you pray in the Spirit, the more that you uh, develop this heavenly language and gift in your life, it begins to stir up in your life this intimacy with God. It's absolutely vital. It's absolutely important. This This isn't crazy Pentecostal Uh, talk. This is the reality of the gospel. Jesus came that you and I might have a relationship with the Father. He came that you and I could be restored to the Father. And then John the Baptist prophesied, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You shall receive the Holy Ghost and fire. That is the ministry of Jesus. That is His heavenly ministry. That is what He does. He's sitting, interceding for you and I, that you and I might be restored to the relationship with God and that we might receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The ministry of Jesus didn't stop at the tomb. That was only the beginning. We cut, out, we cut out so much vital, uh, so much vital truth of the scripture when we stop at the tomb. Yes, salvation is wonderful and it, it, it's essential to getting to heaven. We have to have salvation. But oh, there's so much more than just being born again in this relationship with Christ. Oh, there's so much more than just praying the sinner's prayer and, and having a relationship with Jesus at, at salvation. There is, there is, <laughs> there is, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There is the baptism in the Holy Ghost that you and I can receive from heaven, and it is so vital to our Christianity. Do you ha- does that mean you're not going to heaven if you don't pray in tongues? Absolutely not. Salvation is essential for making it to heaven. But Lord, why would I just want to stop at salvation when He offers so much more? It's like saying, "I'll go, I'll go, and I'll I'll sit down at the dinner table and I'll I'll eat a I'll eat the salad." But after that, I'll I'll push away from the table when there's steak and potatoes and corn and. Whatever floats your boat, you know, pie, whatever, yes, whatever. I'll eat the salad, but I'll leave the rest. No, of course, if we sit down at the dinner table, of course, you're making healthy choices. But when you sit down at the dinner table and you eat the whole meal, we get it all. I want all that God has for me. And if the baptism in the Holy Spirit, if that brings me closer to the Father, then I need that. I want that. It's not, it's not hocus pocus or spooky. It's, it's not about a ghost. It's the, no, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not some spooky person. He is. He. He. Not it. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is as much God as God is God. The Father is God. He's much God as Jesus is God. It is 
three persons in one, the Trinitarian. We still believe in the Trinity, right? And so the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, His job, His ministry is to bring us into intimacy with the Father. And so praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues is just that. It is developing this, uh, this intimate relationship with the Father. Amen. And so this Christ, my deliverer, is understanding that part of Christ's ministry is the Holy Spirit. I cannot, that's like saying I'm going to cut off my nose for the rest of my family. Jesus, I, I, I'm okay with the ministry of Jesus, but I'm, I'm not okay with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. No, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is Jesus' ministry. <laughs> Secondly, Christ has broken the curse of sin and bondage for you. Christ wants you to be free. He's broken the curse. He's broken the bondage. He's broken the, the pain and the, the fear and the depression and all of those things. In Romans 8 verse 12 it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. When you were born again, you did not receive a spirit of bondage, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself. Why is the ministry of the Holy Spirit important? The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. A couple of things just to point out here from the Scripture is that we're all debtors. We owe God what we cannot pay. We're all in debt to Him. I was thinking about that old song this morning. Uh, he paid a debt that I, He did not owe and I owe a debt I cannot pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Jesus came. He became our propitiation. He paid the price for you and I to live free. We, we no longer come into a relationship with the Father saying, Oh God, I have to work off my debt. Oh God, I have to pay off. I, I have to earn. I have to work. I have to prove. No. Jesus paid it all. Jesus took care of it all. He became our propitiation. I simply come in as a son of God. I come in because I'm a joint heir with Christ. And I receive all that Christ received. I receive all the blessing, all the reward, all the benefits that Christ has. I can receive myself because of his sacrifice. You know, we don't, we don't usually go around in church saying, oh, I have to work, I have to... We usually cover it up. We usually cover up our works addiction by saying... Well, I have, to, I have to be busy about the Lord's work. I, I, nobody else will do it, so I'll do it. We, we use these religious terms. And really, it's a works, it's works mentality. I've got to come in, and I've got to, I, I've got to earn God's love. If I, don't, if I don't do this, God's not going to love me. He's not going to approve of me. God loves you just the way you are. Does that mean that God turns his eye to sin? Absolutely not. God does not turn his eye to sin. Sin was met out in Christ in the crucifixion. That was the penalty for sin. God doesn't turn his eye. Justice was paid on the cross. God doesn't turn his eye to your sin or my sin. It was paid at Calvary. And so we begin to take on the nature of Jesus when, when we begin to say, God, 
And we walk out, and I'm, and I'm talking about walking out our Christian life. Well, God, I need you. God, I yield to you. And we begin to live this life in the Spirit. We begin to walk in the Spirit. We don't walk carnally minded. We don't do and fulfill the lust of our flesh. I'm talking about you and I living in the Spirit. We begin to take on the nature of Christ. Paul said here in Romans that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Notice that if you live by the Spirit... There is an action that comes after. Those deeds to the flesh are put to death. That is, that is the work that happens. Your work, my work, is yielding to God. The Bible says in Hebrews, we are to strive to enter into his rest. That is our work. God, I am striving to enter into your presence. That's my only job, is to enter into your presence. To strive to enter into your presence. And as you do... As you do that, the overflow of his presence, the overflow of that experience in your life is worship. It's ministry to others. It's, it's touching the unlovely, laying hands on them and ministering. It's the Matthew 10, 7 and 8. It's giving in the offering. It's all of those things. It's the overflow of your encounter with God. A lot of times we try to teach it opposite. Well, you got to work and you got to do in order to get into his presence. No, the work was done. It was settled at Calvary. I can freely come into his presence. And the result of that is that I glorify him in my daily life. The Holy Spirit reveals the love of God. He reveals the authority of God in our life. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, or the authority. That word right is the word authority. It's the same word when Jesus said, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. I sent, he sent them out. It's the same word, to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor will of man, but of God. This is the authority that the Holy Spirit Spirit reveals in our life. As you begin to worship God and you yield to his presence, he brings liberty and freedom in your life and you begin to recognize the authority under who you walk and who you live. You begin to recognize the authority of God in your life and you begin to walk as a child of God, as a son or a daughter of God. And then thirdly, Christ has compassion for you to be free. He wants you to be free this morning. There's no one else that would want you to be uh, more, uh, no one else who wants you to be free more than he does. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you in every area of your life to live the Christian life, the New Testament life. He doesn't want you to be bound up by your natural man, your carnal man. He wants you to live in absolute freedom. He wants you to walk in the spirit. He wants you to enjoy life in the spirit. This is an exciting life. <laughs> I don't know about you. I love walking in the Spirit. <laughs> there's no other, other life I'd rather live. Does it mean that there's fire and testing that come? Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, when you walk in the Spirit, it's the fire of God gets turned up just a little. You're walking the person of fire. You're living in the person, the Holy Spirit, the flame. You shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. So yeah, the fire gets turned up and everything in your life begins to surface. But oh man, I love, man, I, just this week, it was so awesome. We, we went out of town and it was just a, it was a kiss from heaven, uh, from the walking in the spirit. Now most people would probably get out there. We were out in the middle of the woods and there's snow falling and it was great. I mean, we had the snow coming down and we we're on a carriage ride and the snow's coming down. We had the black stallion and the white horse or the white car. I mean, it was perfect. And we're, we're, it was absolutely picture perfect. You know what a lot of people would do, Christians even, 
would sit in that carriage. I can't believe it's snowing, man. This is it's so cold out here. How do you know? Well, it was on our Facebook page. I, 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 know, I know that's how people would say. People were posting it on Facebook. I'm telling you, Facebook is the judgment of God. <laughs> Be careful what you post. Your pastor will see it and preach on it. <laughs> it's so cold, I can't believe. But for us who live and walk in the Spirit, we're sitting there, man, look at creation. We begin to see God in His creation. We begin to see that just those, every little snowflake in its fine little detail. Man, can you see the creativity of my God in this snowflake and how He's made just even the finest little detail, so perfect, so, so calming, so awesome. God, we're enjoying, and you begin to see Christ in His creation, and you see Christ in all of the situations. It's no longer, oh, man, this is such a rough life. I can't believe it. Jesus, why did I get bored again? This was the worst thing. I got to go to church today. Uh, they want me to stand here. How long? And I got to sit in service for how long? And how much longer is this guy going to talk? I just want to go to, I want to go to whatever restaurant and be a glutton. No, that's not, that's not the life we're called to. That's not the life we're called to. Jesus wants us to live in freedom. In Matthew chapter 9, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. That word moved with compassion means to be moved in your bowels, the innermost being. He was moved. Notice that the same place where, where Jesus said in John 7, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. The same, that same place, the same location on your body is the same reference here. That out of your innermost, out of your bowels, your innermost being, Jesus was moved with compassion. The same Spirit of God that flows out of you is the same Spirit of God who will move on you for compassion to others. It's that same... You begin to see the hurting and the broken and no longer sit in judgment. You're moved with compassion and you, you, want, to, there, you want there to be a transfer. You want there to be, God, whatever's in me, whatever that anointing is in me, just like Peter and John on the way to the temple, silver and gold, I don't have, buddy. I'm sorry, I can't help you. But what we do have, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You begin to walk and, I, you, you walk and recognize the authority that you, that you live and walk in. And you understand the anointing, the presence of God. The same anointing, the same presence of God that liberates us is the same presence and anointing that liberates others. You begin to be moved with compassion. Jesus is moved with compassion for you. There's a story of the tyrant who called in, and I'm borrowing this illustration from Spurgeon. I, I love Spurgeon. He tells the story of the tyrant who calls in, and uh, Grace, why don't you all come up? He calls, he calls in all the subjects, calls in all the subjects before him. And as he does, he looks around through the crowd and he finds the blacksmith in the middle of his subjects. And he tells the blacksmith, blacksmith, I want you to go make a chain. So the blacksmith leaves, everybody leaves, and he goes and he forms a chain. The blacksmith comes back and shows the, shows the king the chain, or the tyrant the chain, and the tyrant says, it's not long enough, I want you to go double it. 
So the blacksmith leaves, he goes, he extends the chain, makes it bigger, it comes back to the tyrant. The tyrant says, not long enough still, go double it. So the tyrant goes, or the blacksmith goes, and he, he builds the chain again, makes it longer, brings it back. And all the subjects and everybody's standing there looking at this quite lengthy chain. And the tyrant looks at the blacksmith and says, now all the subjects bind the blacksmith with the chain that he made. And that's just what the enemy would like to do to us. He, he causes us to form our own chains, build our own chains. And he uses the things, our mind, the, the fear, the depression, the situation, the circumstance, all of the situations, our, our spouse, whatever, all the things in our lives. And he begins to use them and turn them against us. All the while, Jesus is standing there teaching in the synagogue and saying, lay his hands on you and speak freedom over your life this morning.